Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Friday, August 5th, 2022. This is Shannon, and tonight I'm here with Stacy and Brooke, and we are discussing books with names in their titles. There are so many books. Sarah very, very nicely pointed out that it all started way back with Ramona Quimby. Um, yes! I don't know if that's actually the start of it, but <laughs> there are just tons of great books with names in their titles, and we are going to talk about a few of them. So we're going to get started with the usual housekeeping information. Then I'm going to start us off, followed by Stacy, and lastly, Brooke. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So my first book tonight is one that I have waited so long to talk about. I read this back when we were first starting the podcast Ooh. in 2018. <laughs> wow. Now I'm so, um, I need to know what yeah. it is. <laughs> and it has stuck with me ever since. And I've like thought about it for different episodes. And I never really found one that I thought was like the right fit for it. And now... I finally can tell you about The Book of Essie. This is by Megan McLean Ware. Um, this is a, a social media themed novel in a way. It's um, one of those like reality TV books that is becoming like super popular. Um, so this is the story of Essie. She's Esther Ann Hicks. She is the daughter of an evangelical pastor who is also a reality TV superstar. And they have been on TV like pretty much for as long as Essie can remember. She's kind of grown up in the spotlight. And she's either really loved by people or really hated by people because of her family's very extreme religious views. Now, Essie's mom discovers that Essie is pregnant and she does not know what to do. Like she can't just decide this like most parents would because she has to first clear whatever decision she makes with the TV producers because that's oh. how your life works if you're on reality TV, I guess. Oh. So she's trying to figure out what to do. Like, are they going to like sneak her out of the country somehow? Like, is she going to go on like a mission trip and actually have an abortion? 
are they going to pretend that Celia, the mother, is actually pregnant? Like, what, what are they going to do? So finally, they decide that they're going to arrange a marriage for Essie. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh-huh. And they are going to have this, like, blockbuster wedding that is going to be, like, the biggest event in reality TV history. Now, Essie is not a big fan of this idea. Um, <laughs> Why not? Oh, I, <laughs> come on. You don't have to worry about the whole finding somebody. It's true. But, you know, she she figures that people that her her parents are likely to find um, are not you know going to be people that she would want to be married to. Yep. She has begun spending time with a boy in her class at school and they're kind of building a friendship and possibly, possibly beginning to have feelings for one another. But all of this is, of course, complicated by Essie's pregnancy and her parents' plans to, you know, marry her off in grand public fashion. We know pretty early on that there are a lot of secrets in this family. Like they work very hard to create a certain image, but you know pretty quickly that things are not as lovely in this home as they seem. And so as the book goes on, you get to see all the things that are kind of happening, you know, behind the scenes, the things that the TV viewers don't know about. Um, This is a book about Essie, like finding her own voice and realizing that she is the only one with the power to grant herself the freedom that she wants. And so we're watching her like grow up, not just, you know, in the ways that we think of, of teenagers you know, growing into adults, but actually growing into her own, her own person and her own self-advocate. I really loved this. Um, it's, it was just one of those books that I started reading and couldn't put down. Unfortunately, I don't think this author has written anything else, um, which makes me sad because I would really love to see, you know, something else that she's written. But this is The Book of Essie, and it's by Megan McLean Ware. That sounds good. Is it categorized as young adult or no? No, no, it's more like a, like a family saga, saga? Like okay. things from multiple perspectives. Um, so no, it, it, I would say it probably has like some pretty good, like YA crossover appeal, but no, it's, it's not a YA book. Okay. So I'm really excited that I can talk about a book by one of my most favorite authors in the history of authors. All hail the amazingly talented Brittany C. Cherry. So tonight I'm going to talk about Eleanor and Gray by Brittany C. Cherry. And I first read this book last year and it kind of took my breath away. I don't know why I hadn't read it before. I just, there was some of her backlist I hadn't gotten to. So I just read it again for this episode. And it's just so lovely. It's about a girl named Eleanor. And at the beginning of the book, it's 2003. She's 16 years old. She's in high school. It's summertime. And it is the day of the release of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. (laughs) And all she wants to do is sit in her bedroom and read Harry Potter. But her parents basically force her out of the house to go to a party. 
because they said she needs to be around kids and drugs and alcohol and young people because if it were up to Eleanor, she would spend all of her time reading alone in her bedroom. And she's very comfortable being an introverted bookworm. That's the opposite of all other parents in the world. I not know. Want their kids like, who, who says that? <laughs> parents who <laughs> love their daughter and are proud of who she is, but want her to make some friends. And plus they wanted a little night of uh, private time. So they wanted <laughs> her out of the house. So she goes to this party and immediately with her cousin Shay, who is her bestie. And she tucks herself in a little alcove beneath the stairs, Harry Potter style. And she's just going to read the whole party. That's what I would do. I know. And so, and I'm like, I really love this girl. I love that she's 16. She's totally comfortable wearing cardigans that her mother has embroidered with dragonflies. Like she is just her own person over like Metallica t-shirts and jeans and chucks. Like she's just her own person. And while she's sitting there getting lost in the world of Harry Potter and Hogwarts, this boy approaches her and tries to strike up a conversation. And they have a couple in like brief encounters that summer. And she finally says to him, I'll hang out with you if you can find something that we actually have in common. And this boy, whose name is Grayson East, he goes by Gray. He is like the popular basketball star. And she's just like, with her mouth full of braces and her dragonfly cardigan, she's like, what is, why, you know, why, why are you trying to be my friend? I don't understand it. Well, in order to connect with her, he reads all the Harry Potter books and this beautiful friendship is formed. She's going through a really difficult time. Her mother has cancer. Things are getting tense at home. And her afternoons spent with Gray are kind of like the highlights for her. It takes her away from the process of grieving for her mother and, and worrying about her. So for the next several months, they, they continue their friendship, but you know, things beyond their control kind of draw them apart. And, you know, they kind of go their separate ways after forming this really beautiful friendship that might be just a little bit more. 15 years later, Eleanor is a nanny and Gray is the CEO of his family's whiskey empire and they meet again when she interviews to be not knowing it's him she interviews to be his children's nanny and when they yeah and when they were in high school he was this laughing optimistic just you know loving full of life boy and now he's a broken shell of who he once was because his wife has died, his two daughters are very lost. And here comes Eleanor into this sort of bleak and broken family. And, you know, Gray wants nothing to do with her friendship. But Eleanor can't seem to keep from trying to fix, pick up some of the broken pieces of the life that Grayson has with his two daughters. And that's all I'm going to say about this book right now, but it's a lovely, lovely story. Brittany C. Cherry is an amazing writer. She uh, has this way of using words to really pull very strong emotions out of you. Um, she's just one of those word artists that can just paint these really lovely pictures with what she says. And this book is just one of my favorites by her. So when you get a chance, if you want to read a really great book, go ahead and pick up Eleanor and Gray by Brittany C. Cherry. I have never. I read haven't her. read any of her books yet. 
So my first book this evening is Violet Made of Thorns. Violet Made of Thorns, book one, and it's by Gina Chen. So Violet is a morally gray witch. Um, She is also, she's like the seer, the royal seer. Um, She's 18 years old. She is in charge of kind of giving people kind of reading their reading their fate lines and giving them an idea of what's going to happen um the only problem is is she sees a lot of what's happened in the past versus what's coming up when she was 11 years old she was she was homeless she was orphaned um she wasn't in a great place and she sees like a prophecy involving the prince and um she saves him he was about to, I think it was, he was about to get hit by a, a horse carriage or something like that. So she ends up saving the prince. And then through this prophecy that she saw, she finds out that if she was to save this boy. So at the time during the prophecy, when she kind of sees her vision, she doesn't realize that it's the prince. But she, all she knows is that if she saves this boy, then it's going to change her life forever. So she ends up doing this and she becomes, as I said, the royal seer. Um, So her and the prince, his name is Cyrus. They have the most hilarious relationship. They have um, enemies. They're kind of like, the book is very much an enemies to lovers. Um, And even when they're lovers, they're still, the banter between them is pretty entertaining. Like they're all, they're always kind of making kind of pot shots at each other or kind of always kind of very witty to one another. And it's kind of interesting dynamic. So the king has decided that um, it's time that her, his son, Cyrus, um, picks a wife. Um, she saw a prophecy that said that he needs to get married at a certain point. Otherwise, war is going to happen and like the kingdom will be in ruins. So Ooh. this is, and kind of the prince is kind of doing his own thing and he's just not interested in getting married. So he hasn't found anybody. So the king has decided enough is enough. Um, he sets up a masquerade ball. And he tells Violet that he, that she must tell Cyrus that she's seen a prophecy that she's going to meet this girl and that there, she's going to be wearing this specific costume and it's going to be like love at first sight. So she tells him not really wanting to, cause she's got these like conflicted feelings. The one thing I really love about Violet is she's okay with who she is. Like she's very outspoken. Um, she's not an easy character to love, but you learn, you kind of learn why she is the way she is. And you just learn that she fits in that sort of environment. And it's a way like a coping mechanism for not being kind of overlooked she makes sure that everyone knows where like her place and what she can do if they kind of go against that so as I said she tells Cyrus the prop the um prophecy so they go to this masquerade ball and he meets this girl this girl named Lady Rhea and he's 
bestowed it. But Violet is not so sure. Like there's just something about the this woman that she she doesn't feel that she's kind of portraying herself in a true light. And his um so Cyrus's twin sister's name is Camilla, and she also feels the same way. So Cyrus knowing that Violet isn't really the one to kind of try to make things hard for him, he decides that he's going to kind of go with what his sister says and what what Violet says, and they're going to investigate. So they start investigating, and they learn some things. And by learning these things, they discover that there's this curse that's happening and that people are being, these random people are getting turned into, like, these kind of, like, monsters. so throughout the book she's kind of violet is very much battling her feelings um for cyrus because the fates are telling her that she needs to kill him by a by a certain time and that he needs to die like either she needs to kill him or somehow he needs to die she doesn't really feel that that needs to happen and like she loves him so doesn't obviously want this to happen so like there's this constant conflict that's going on and I just really enjoyed this. Like I'm really looking forward to where the next book goes. So this is a violet made of thorns, a violet made of thorns book one. And it's by Gina Chen. And this just came out too. Yeah. And it's like a duology. So I'm like, uh, Ooh, yeah, one I think more the, book. the second one comes in October. Well, my next book also has a sequel coming in October. Um, This is Delilah Green Doesn't Care. It is Bright Falls, book one, by Ashley Herring Blake. And this book was everything. It was like one of my favorite books of 2022. So Delilah Green is a photographer. She lives in New York City. And a long time ago, she vowed that she would never, ever, ever, ever go back to Bright Falls, which is this town where she grew up. Delilah and her father were on their own for quite a while until her father got remarried. And when he got remarried, suddenly their family became a blended family. It was, you know, her and her father and then her stepmother and her new stepsister, Astrid. And at first, Delilah thought that this was going to be a really great thing. But her father died, leaving her alone with her stepmother and stepsister. And suddenly, Delilah starts to feel like she doesn't fit anymore. So she left Bright Falls just as soon as she could, like when she graduated high school. And she just doesn't want to go back. So it's been a number of years and Delilah's life is finally beginning to be kind of everything that she wanted it to be. Her career is starting to take off. She has this string of like one night stands. So she figures, you know, this is good. Like her bed is never empty. It doesn't matter that these are, you know, different women each time, but it makes her feel like popular and wanted. And these are things that Delilah has never really felt up until this point. 
But it seems that Astrid is getting married and she wants Delilah for reasons that Delilah doesn't understand to be her wedding photographer. And so she kind of guilts her into coming back to Bright Falls. She also offers to pay her like an absurd amount of money, like many, many thousands of dollars. I want to say like $30,000 or something. Um, Holy. And I know. I'll do it. Right. right? (laughs) And Delilah just can't like turn that down. So she ends up coming back to Bright Falls and she's not happy about it. So she's always like looking for ways to kind of stick it to Astrid. Like she's just always kind of trying to figure out like what can she do to make Astrid uncomfortable or angry And so one of the things that she decides she's going to do is she's going to strike up a relationship with Claire, who is Astrid's longtime best friend. Now, Claire is pretty much the opposite of Delilah. Like she's not spontaneous. Um, She's a single mom. She lives, you know, according to like some pretty strict rules that she's given herself because she wants to do the very best she can for her 11 year old daughter. And she feels like, you know, just being kind of swept off her feet by various people and inviting, you know, new and different people into their lives all the time. Like that's just chaos that Claire doesn't want. Claire and Delilah, like sparks fly between them pretty much, you know, from the the moment they're reunited, they always kind of knew each other because she's, you know, Astrid's best friend and Delilah is Astrid's stepsister, but they kind of like didn't really interact when they were growing up. And now they're suddenly, you know, starting to spend time together and starting to, to develop feelings for one another. They are united in their dislike of Astrid's fiance. And so together with um, Astrid's other best friend, they decide that they are going to do what they can to put a stop to Astrid's wedding. Oh, dear. And so there's all sorts of like hijinks that ensue as they try to show Astrid in ways both like obvious and obscure that this guy that she wants to marry is like no good. Um, this is a rom-com in a lot of ways, and yet it has a lot of depth at its core because we dig deep into the relationship between Astrid and Delilah, and we really come to understand both of them, um, in a, a much deeper way than we do, like, when we first meet them. Um, this book is a lot of fun. It is full of heart, and just a really excellent romance. Um, The second book, as I said, is coming out in October, and that is Astrid's book. It's going to be called Astrid Parker Doesn't Fail, and I am super, super excited for it. But this one is Delilah Green Doesn't Care. It's Bright Falls, book one. It's by Ashley Herring Blake. If you haven't read it and you're looking for a romance with like a lot of humor and a lot of heart. I, I highly, highly recommend this one. So in the vein of romantic comedies, let's stay there. And right. when Shannon said to me 
a couple weeks ago. Do you have any interest in talking about books with people's names in the title? I said to her, I will do this episode if you let me talk about Savvy Sheldon Feels Good as Hell by Taj McCoy. Yeah. And she said, of course you can. Because what is better than a rom-com that also promotes positive body image, you know, sort of like self-improvement, but in a way of like learning how to demonstrate self-love. I love this book so much. And oh my God, the food descriptions, they're sexier than the sex. I'm telling you, I love this book. So this book is about Savvy Sheldon. And at the beginning, you kind of feel a little stressed out for her because she's um, living in her grandparents' house that's sort of like kind of falling down around her. It's, it's, it's very dated. It needs a lot of TLC. And she's taking pictures of the beautiful breakfast that she's made for her boyfriend who's still sleeping. And he doesn't really appreciate much about her except for her food. And he's just as kind of like this douche canoe who you're just kind of like, gross, why is this great girl with this guy? And then she goes to work and she puts in all this overtime and she's working her butt off and you're like, ugh, poor girl. And then her boyfriend decides that, you know, she's gained a lot of weight since they met and He doesn't know if she's going enough places with her job to really make it worth his while to continue dating her. He needs like a 2.0. And so he just, he just decides that that they're done. He's just going to dump her. He needs to find a a better model basically that lives up to his image of himself and his prospects moving forward. Great. And so Sammy feels pretty bad about this. You know, she is a curvy girl, but You know, she was always an athlete when she was younger and, you know, she's just been spending so much time working that she hasn't put any time into herself. So she decides she is going to do this like amazing makeover and she's going to, you know, show him what he's missing, show this guy what he's missing by like losing a bunch of weight and just like changing her life. So the beautiful thing about Savvy Sheldon, well, there's many beautiful things about her, but she has this amazing group of friends that I want to be my friends. Like I want to hang out with them and have drink nights and, you know, different, they, they just, they're like ride or die. They're like the greatest types of girlfriends you could ever hope to have. And so they all join her in different ways on her quest of self-improvement. And so, you know, she tries hot yoga and passes out, but it's cool. And, you know, they're all there to support her. So she decides she's (laughs) going to start. Yeah. And so she decides she's going to start playing tennis again. And she um, starts building relationships like on the tennis court. She also decides it's time to renovate her house. But you know what's really too bad? The contractor that she hires to renovate her house, she actually, based on her first impression of him, made a really negative, off-base comment to him about who she thought he was based on his appearance. So now she's all embarrassed because he's going to be like working on her house. So she's working on herself. She's working on her house. She's kind of doing all this, you know, self-improvement, like athletic stuff. And she keeps running into her stupid ass ex-boyfriend. And every time she runs into him, 
he's with a different shiny, gorgeous woman. And she's just feeling like crap. So after a whole string of events, she decides that what is going to be better for her is to maybe start by working on her insides before she can actually, you know, work on her outsides. And maybe she needs to actually love herself before everything else can fall into place. This book is a lovely romance. It's, there are some very funny parts, especially the banter between her and her girlfriends. It's just, oh, so delightful. And, you know, it's, it's about how she learns to love the body that she has, love the life that she has, how she learns to stand up for herself. She, you know, develops an amazing, she falls in love with an amazing person, um, but also she falls in love with herself. And it's just a really lovely book about the power of friendship and good food to bring people together and how if you have your tribe around you, so many things can feel more possible. And I love this book so much. It's ridiculous. There's a great, amazing dog in this book, a sexy contractor. It's just everything. And the food, my God, the food, my God, the food. If you just are a foodie, read it for her descriptions of the food. It's so great. So this book, again, is Savvy Sheldon Feels Good as Hell. It's by Taj McCoy. And please, please go out and read this book. It is just, it's everything. It's delightful. It's, it's just a perfect, perfect read. I bought this when it first came out, and I have not read it yet. I need to. So my second book this evening is Harley in the Sky by Akima Don Bowen. So Harley has always wanted to be a trapeze artist. That's like her biggest goal in life. And you would think that because her parents own a very, very famous circus in Las Vegas, that this would not be a difficult goal to achieve. But her parents, what they want for her is they want her to go to school. They want her to get a degree and to have... They know she wants to be a trapeze artist, but they don't want her to, they don't want that to be the only thing that she does because they're worried that if it doesn't co- like, doesn't happen, that she's not going to have anything to fall back on. So every day she is, you can find her watching in the back, like in the, in the backstage, watching the tra- trapeze artist. Um, in their circus and she's learning from her and she's really enjoying herself one day she's walking out with her um, to the parking lot and the circus owner of a kind of not very moral circus owner he likes to steal other people's ideas he likes to steal um, other people's staff and oh. he kind of moves from place to place. So nobody can really kind of call him on it because he's not really in one place all the time. So he comes along and he talks to the trapeze artist and she's like not interested. And she doesn't want Harley to think that she's even considering it. So she gives the business card to Harley and says, hey, you get rid of this because I don't want you to think that I am going to go against your family and join the uh, Mason du Mystère. I think it's Mason du Mystère, something like that, um, circus. So Harley takes it 
And she's kind of torn because her parents don't want her to learn to be a trapeze artist. So she feels like, what if maybe it's time to look at other places that she can learn? So she sticks the card in her um, glove compartment and she kind of forgets about it for a bit. Um, one day she's talking to her parents because they're talking about school and have you started applying to colleges and stuff like this and she's like no I want to become a trapeze artist and um, I can't remember what her name is but the trapeze artist for their circus has offered to mentor her and of course like her parents are not happy about this because they don't they want her to go to school well Harley and them have this big fight and she takes off. Um, she runs away and she betrays her family. I'm not going to say how, but she betrays her family and she sets off and joins the Mason du Mystier circus. Um, at that circus, she learns about like the brutal truth of being a circus performer. She learns um, about perseverance she learns about the importance of working hard she learns about like the difficulties of getting there like she because she's joining this she's always like her circus everyone's family like she's been around them since they were she was like a little tiny kid so they all kind of treat her like a family and they've always treated her well so when she goes to this new circus well Secrets don't really stay secrets in a circus. So everyone knows that she's betrayed her family. Don't, sorry, they don't know that she's betrayed her like family. Like they don't actually know that her family owns this other circus. Um, all they know is that she has brought, she has stolen something and given it to the circus master, Mason. Ooh. And of course, everyone doesn't, they don't agree with this. So nobody wants to really be her friend. But a couple of girls, they take her under their wing and they, they start getting her to just practice. They're like, just start practicing and see where it goes. And maybe our trapeze artist will finally take you under her wing. Because right now, she's just feeling threatened. So she does that. She starts doing exercises to make herself feel stronger. And she's practicing one day in one of the big tops. And she meets Voss. And Voss is like the choreographer. So he's the one that makes all the music and all the stuff for the circus performers. And they develop this really, really beautiful relationship. And as she's kind of going along, she realizes that maybe it's time to kind of get back in touch with her family and with her friends. And like, and she's starting to realize that she's really hurt them. And this kind of bothers her. So she ends up reconnecting. And I'm going to leave it there because I feel like I could give away things a little too easy if I go further. But I loved this book. Um, there's a bit of mental health issues that um, Harley has. And that's kind of part of like her family is trying to, like, it's this great family but they don't really see her for who she really is. Um, she's had to learn to deal with her mental health concerns and to kind of, kind of carve out a life that she's able to do. 
she's had a few times when she's kind of slipped, but her family doesn't believe in therapy. Um, they don't believe in medication. So she has these like high highs and these low lows and all that, all that they really say is like, are you sure that jumping into the situation is a good idea? Are you sure it's just not one of your, like one of your um, moods? And like, that's kind of how it's dealt with. So I really enjoyed this book. Um, this is Harley in the Sky and it's by Akima von Bowen. This is on my list of things to read. Circus books. Yes. So my next book dovetails really nicely um, with Brooke's last book because this is Darius the Great is not okay. It's Darius the Great book one and it's by Adib Karam. This is a YA novel about Darius the Great. He is 15 and he is living with his parents and his younger sister. Um, He is half Iranian and half white. He's not really in touch with like the Persian Iranian side of his family. Um, His mom stayed in the U.S. once she married his father. And so he like talks to them on Skype and he knows, you know, some things about them, but he doesn't feel as, you know, as, as Persian as he would like. Um, then near the start of the book, we learn that Darius's grandfather is really sick. And he is, is dying. And so his mom decides that, you know, they need to, they need to go back to Iran. This is the first time that Darius has ever been there. So it's been probably, you know, 17 or 18 years since his mother has been back there. So they travel to Iran and Darius learns a lot about his family, about his culture, but I think more importantly, he learns about himself. Darius is this like very kind of nerdy, like introverted kid. Um, He loves Star Trek. And so if you're a Star (laughs) Trek fan, which I I am not, like I don't really know very much about Star Trek, but if you are a Star Trek fan, you will be delighted by all of the like Star Trek information that is woven so nicely into this book. Um, You know, he, he just, he doesn't quite, know how to how to fit in he suffers from clinical depression as does his father and he kind of feels like in a lot of ways like they should sort of bond he and his father together and yet he feels that they just kind of keep getting further and further apart so while they're in iran you know, he starts to kind of reconnect with his father in some different ways. He also strikes up a friendship with um, the boy who is the son of the family that lives next door to his grandparents. And he really starts to kind of grow into his own person. I feel like that's kind of a theme um, of a lot of these books tonight. Um, It's a pretty short book. So I'm going to stop um, in my description because I really want people to pick this up and read it and fall in love with Darius. There's a a sequel to this, which is out already. And I'm very excited to read it. I love the way in which this author is able to 
you know, as like a woman in my 40s, I'm not usually drawn to books about teenage boys, <laughs> but there was just something so like enchanting um, and real about Darius that I just, I, I couldn't help but fall in love with this book. So this is Darius the Great is not okay. Darius the Great, book one, and it's by Adib Karam. This does sound delightful, Shannon. Yes. Yes, it made me very happy. I will be adding it to my TBR. Yes. So I've made no secret since September of 2020 that Lucy Score is an author that I consider to be a goddess. And I love her so much. And I was overjoyed that she was helpful to me by putting out a book this year called Maggie Moves On. Because <laughs> then I could talk about it in this episode. So Maggie Moves On by Lucy Score is about surprisingly a woman named Maggie and I know and she is a house flipper she's a YouTube sensation and what she does is she travels around the country and like flips these houses in short periods of time and you know each each house is like a different series of YouTube shows that she posts and so she's been doing this for a long time and her um, assistant is named Dean. Um, he's been a very important part of her life for many years. And they end up in Kinship, Idaho at the beginning of the book, this little, little town. And she's decided their next project is going to be to flip this giant ass Victorian mansion. And Dean is kind of like, okay, like, I don't know if we can do this. I think it's going to be too big of a project for a four month time frame. And Maggie is just bound and determined that they are going to do this job. They're going to do this specific mansion. And so she starts interviewing local people to join her team because she travels light. You know, she shows up at this mansion with a cot and a coffee maker. Like that's all she needs. And Whoa. she's just going to like hang out there in this like decrepit mansion as she's working on it. And so one of the people that she interviews is named Silas and he owns a landscaping company. And Silas spends about 2.3 seconds in Maggie's company and falls head over heels in love with her <laughs> and is very open about the fact that he thinks she's the greatest thing ever. And I hate Insta love. Like I think it's vomit and dumb, but what, what made it okay for me is that Maggie is like, yeah, you're fun fling material, but you know, when this is done in four months, I'm moving on to my next, you know, great adventure, but you look amazing. And if you would be willing to do landscaping without a shirt, and sometimes maybe without even your pants, because she actually saw him running without pants for reasons I will not tell you. Oh, she thought he could be a great addition to her show because it would it would bring in many, many viewers to have Silas, the laid back landscaper on her show. <laughs> so as and, and, and Silas, you know, he he's just very comfortable with who he is. He, he has his company in this town. And he has with him his faithful sidekick, who is um, a pit bull named Kevin, who is actually um, a dropout from a service dog school. He did not pass service dog school. And Lucy Score said, I understand that this is sort of like the way that she wrote about this dog is not really how, you know, things are done. But like this dog can do things like turn the lights on and open doors. But he also has a very mischievous streak that you will see very early on in the book. He just, he, he, 
just doesn't have a lot of great manners, but he is a complete delight. And I just think it's funny that his name is Kevin and he's a very large part of this book. But as, you know, as, as Maggie is like sort of delving into this mansion, she begins to meet the people of the town and much to her dismay, she begins to sort of amass this found family around her. And it sort of feels a little bit like there's some roots being put down, which makes her very uncomfortable. She likes the existence that she has of just going from place to place, living out of a suitcase, you know, just kind of keeping it easy and light. No major attachments. But the town of Kinship has other ideas. And the people that she kind of gathers to her as she's working on this project all begin to mean a lot more to her than she has anticipated, particularly Silas, who will not give up. And, you know, has decided that she is going to be the love of his life. In this mansion, there's also a mystery to be solved about a long ago scandal that rocked this small town. Um, And it never had an answer. And she finds clues as she is renovating the mansion that might help the town. That's all I'm going to say about this book because you just have to read it. It's delightful. If you have, if you are familiar with Lucy's score, you will know that it will have laugh out loud moments. And I promise it does. It also has a surprising amount of depth and just so much heart as do most of her books. So if you want to read a rom-com about a girl who doesn't want attachments and a man who has decided that no one will be better for him than Maggie, a flunky service dog, and some lovely, lovely (laughs) townspeople, and a great mystery, you must pick up Maggie Moves On by Lucy Score. I love her. I read this book and really enjoyed it. So my next book is going to take us away from lightness. We are going oh, no. to go into a psychological thriller. Oh, Ooh. dear. My book is Her Name Was Rose by Claire <sighs> Allen. So our main character that we get, like, the um, the point of view, like, books told from her point of view, um, her name is Emily. And when we join Emily, she has just witnessed a hit and run. A woman has been hit by a car and the person like took off. Well, Emily is pretty convinced. She's got a convinced in her head and you, you learn pretty early on why this is, but she's convinced that that car was meant for her. There, that There's no way that this car was meant for um, Rose because what had happened was they both kind of met each other in the elevator. Like they came across each other in the elevator and Emily said, here, you go first, you and your, that way you can get your son out there before it, like before things get too busy. So why don't you go first? So she lets her out of the elevator. She goes through the doors and wham, she gets hit by the car. Um, her son is fine. Just so everyone knows Jack is fine. Um, but Rose is not as a, as you can imagine. So Emily has got some problems. She, she's very anxious. Um, the reason for this is that she had not a great relationship. She had a bit of an abusive relationship 
um, the person was Ben was very controlling, very kind of keeping her away from people. Um, he did some physical things to her. So she's very like anxious and she's always worried. So she ends up kind of becoming obsessed with Rose. She wants to know everything possible. So she starts looking at her social media presence. Um, she learns that her husband is this well-known author named Sheen. Um, and she learns, at least from what she can see, that Rose just has this perfect life. And like Emily, all she's ever wanted is to be loved and to be cared for. Like she feels very unwanted. So she's researching Rose's life and she decides that why can't she kind of step into Rose's Rose's shoes? Like Rose's boss needs a new secretary. So Rose was a receptionist at a dentist office. At the start, Emily is working for this call center for uh, like an internet provider. And she ends up like telling her boss that she's got a doctor's appointment or I think it's a dentist appointment actually. And he discovers that really she had attended the funeral of Rose because he sees, of course, because her husband is so pot, like so famous, (gasps) her boss ends up seeing um, pictures of her on like a newscast. Yeah. (laughs) So she's had some, um, She's had some absences before and she's been given warnings and stuff like that. Um, So he lets her go. And she's talking to her friend and her friend's like, you probably don't need to know this because what we don't know yet, and I'll tell you now, is that Emily has some mental health difficulties. So she has a, like, she gets obsessive about things, as you can imagine, just from kind of. And she gets obsessive over people. She's getting anxious. So her friend's really worried about her, but she also needs, though she needs a job. So she's like, well, there's this, um, there's this um, ad for a receptionist's job at that, of that person that died. So she goes and she applies for the job. She interviews and she gets the job. So well, she's her first day, she's at the desk and she's whatever. And Sheen walks in with Jack, little Jack. And they kind of have this little spark. And she's decided that she wants to get to know him and that he must like her a lot because he's checking her out and stuff like that. So she becomes obsessive and you can, you're getting all this like inner dialogue in her head. And it's kind of, I don't know, kind of creepy in my point, in my, <laughs> my opinion anyway. So she does that. And that she starts getting some interest in her as their relation, as they kind of get to know each other over the weeks. And you kind of feel uncomfortable about Sheen because you're wondering, like, could he have done something to his wife? It's like people are trying to talk. And you're also, we now learn that Rose had a diary. So you're getting little inserts from her diary throughout the book. So you're learning what Rose's life was really like. 
So was it this amazing life um, of luxury that she's got like posted on Facebook or was it something more sinister? So we're learning this as we go along. And we're also learning why Rose died. And that, my friend, is all I'm going to tell you because it's very easy to uh, spoil this one. So this is, her name was Rose and it's by Claire Allen. Okay, I need to read this. So my last book is also on the thriller end of the spectrum. And this is, yes, this is Chloe Cates is Missing. It's by Mandy McHugh. I think this is her first book. Um, I have not seen anything else by her anyway. So if this is her first book, I hope that we'll be hearing more from her. Um, This came out in early 2022, like February, I think. And as you have probably guessed from the title, someone named Chloe is missing. Chloe is a 13-year-old girl. She is the star of this like blog and YouTube channel called Cece and Me. And her mother, Jennifer, has been like turning like their whole lives are related to this blog and YouTube channel. Um, They don't live like normal people anymore. Everything is scripted and filmed. And in fact, the girl that we know is Chloe, like that's not even her name. So she has had to like give up her name and totally become this Chloe persona. She is actually Abby. And she has been unhappy with life in the spotlight for quite a while. She has wanted to you know, not be homeschooled anymore. She wants to go to high school like normal kids do. She wants to have friends, like real friends, not just people that her mom kind of invents and, you know, uh, <laughs> uses stock photos of to like make it seem like she, you know, has um, a group of friends in her life. So when the book opens, Chloe has gone missing and Abby, as we know her, like, you know, she, she left a diary behind, but we don't, we don't see it right away. Um, You get little snippets from it, like in the book, but until a certain thing happens, you don't actually know as the reader, like where this diary is. Jennifer is super upset as you would be if your child was missing, but not for the reasons that you would expect. Like she's very worried about how this is going to play on social media. And like, you know, suddenly this thing that she's built her life around is in jeopardy. And so she wants everyone to think that she's really worried about Abby slash Chloe, but you know, you, you as the reader get the idea pretty quickly that actually she's worried about this venture, you know, this blog. We also see things from the perspective of Emelina, who is a police detective, and she has kind of a dark history with Jennifer. And at first, she's not even sure that she should be on this case, right? Like she has you know, known a lot of things about this family. And she's thinking like, maybe someone else should do this. But she also feels like she owes it to this missing teenager 
to figure out what happened to her. And there are reasons that she feels this way that I can't get into without spoiling things. But she is a very, very troubled person. She's very driven by things from her past. And she wants to kind of make amends for these. And so she figures like if she can bring Chloe home, that is like a way that she can, you know, kind of make amends for what happened a long time ago. Um, This is very, very twisty. It's pretty dark. It takes like a a close look at the culture of these kind of family blogs and like what, you know, what are kids really subjected to if you live your life just being filmed and like broadcast on social media. Um, I really enjoyed this. It is a very intense, quick read. Um, I read it in like a day and it is Chloe Cates is Missing by Mandy McHugh. I think I have this on my TBR. I just haven't got around to it, but it sounds like Uh, really, really good. Yeah, I think you'll like it. So I really struggled with what to use as my fourth book. I just, there are so many amazing books that I could have chosen. And so I feel like this episode could have been about 400 books long, but all of a sudden I realized that I could talk about a book by the queen of the slow burn romance. And that is Mariana Zapata. And she has like four books with names and the titles that I could have chosen. But I ultimately decided to talk about Culty because I love that book so damn much. I've read it three times now and I'm still not tired of it. So Culty. Culty? Culty is the last name of a German soccer star. Ah, now, so this book is about Saul, Salome, and she is a soccer player on a team in Texas. And when she was seven years old, she fell in love with a young German soccer star named Reiner Kulte. Reiner the King Kulte. (laughs) And at that moment, watching him play when he was 19 and she was seven, She decided that he was her inspiration and that someday, someday, she was going to be a soccer star just like him. And so for the next 10 years, she used him as her idol, her inspiration. She had posters of him all over her walls. She wrote in fan mail. She told everybody she knew that someday she would marry Reiner Kalti. And then when she was 17... All her hopes and dreams were dashed. And she figuratively broke up with Culty, even though he never (laughs) knew they'd been in a relationship. She had to break it off. (laughs) 10 years later, 10 years later, she's 27 years old. She's playing for a Texas uh, women's soccer team. And, you know, she's loving life and just doing great. She lives three hours from her wonderful family very supportive, loving family. She has a a good group of friends on her soccer team. She's the one that helps everyone else out. She's always there to help out, to, you know, to, to be that person who's a doer, who just has the right attitude, a team player. And one day Saul finds out that 
they are acquiring a new assistant coach. Oh, and who might that be? But retired German soccer legend, Reiner, the King Culty. Oh, and Saul is like, oh, my God, what do I do? I can't be around him. I'm going to be so tongue tied. Even though we broke up 10 years ago, he's still culty. <laughs> he's still like inspiring. Well, then he actually arrives in Texas and it's classic enemies to lovers. He is flat out a jerk. He is not a great coach to the team. He is just gross and closed off. But, you know, Saul, you know, there's still embers of that attraction that she had to him all those years ago. And so when he gets in a tight spot a couple times, she helps him out because, A, she's a team player, and B, oh, my God, it's Colty. <laughs> and this book is um, – uh, it's a very long book. It's over 16 hours in audio. And it is all about one season in Texas of soccer playing shenanigans and the very slowly developing relationship between Saul and Colty and all the things that they learn about each other and the ways that they learn to support each other. And honestly, I feel like I've had the shortest descriptions of all the books this week, but I truly... Like, I, I don't want to give anything away. It's just, it's a lovely slow burn romance, enemies to lovers. Um, her books are always funny. Like they always make me laugh out loud. She's a very down to earth writer. Um, and her, if, if you read her books on Audible, she always has Callie Dalton narrating her books. And she's just, she's the perfect person to narrate this book. She's amazing. This book is all about Saul and how she kind of learns how to stand up for herself and to do what's right for herself. Um, and it's about a man who's made a lot of mistakes in his life, who kind of tries to be a better person because of the friendship that he develops with Sal. I love this book so much. It's Culty by Mariana Zapata. You can't go wrong with any of her titles, but this is by far one of my favorites that she has written. It is just everything delightful. Even if you don't like sports romance, which I typically don't, you'll probably love this book. So we're going to stay in the world of sports. Um, and I'm going to do Anna on the Edge by AJ Sass. So Anna Marie Jen is a 15-year-old figure skating champion. Mm. Um, she does Ooh. really well. She's So her and her mom are kind of just scraping by. Um, her mom is amazing. Like she's the best mom ever. She works very hard so that Anna doesn't have to worry about not getting to go to different competitions, not being able to train. Like she just really, really works hard to make sure Anna gets everything that Anna wants. Not like within reason. So like she loves figure skating. So she makes sure that she gets all the hours she needs. And Anna knows this. Like Anna knows that her mom works hard and she really is thankful for everything she gets. And she's she's very concerned because now that she's getting even more famous and more well-known, her trainer wants her to kind of go out into a little bit 
kind of further in her in her competitions. So which means that it's going to cost more. So she's kind of worried about this. But her mom says, like, we'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. You just do your best and work your way to nationals where you want to go. So she's working hard. Um, her, her trainer um, suggests that she move to a different arena and start training with some other people. Um, he sets up a, an arrangement with the skating school at this arena that she can help out and get free ice time, which will really, really, really help her mom. Like she knows that this will pretty much save her mom a couple thousand dollars a month. So she's pretty excited about this. And she also gets to, for the first time ever, work with this famous um, choreographer. So Anna's not a girly girl. Like she doesn't ever wear skirts or roofy things in um, any of her figure skating outfits. But then when she starts working with this new choreographer, the choreographer decides that her theme for her skate is going to be like pretty much like Disney princess. Oh dear. So you can imagine how this is not going to go over well. Um, Anna's kind of been questioning. She doesn't, she kind of, she doesn't feel girly, but she doesn't know what, like, she doesn't know what she's feeling. At the school, um, when she's like helping at the, at the school, um, she meets this transgendered boy named, what's his name? Um, Hayden. And this is the first time that she's ever met a transgendered person. And like, she wants to know, like, how did Hayden, like, how did they realize that they were transgendered? And like, everyone's treating them just like, it's this normal thing. Like, so she starts questioning her own gender identity. So a lot of this book is her very much questioning, who is she? Is she a girl? Is she a boy? Like, who does she feel like? What is she, like, what is she? And she's trying to figure this out. And at the same time, she's trying to figure out, like, can I tell people? Um, and what if I don't really know, like, how do I explain to people that I, like, I don't feel really girly, but I don't really feel really male either. Like, I don't know, like, is this okay to tell people that I don't know? but I just don't feel this way versus that way. So she's kind of struggling with this. And so with this new choreography um, person, she's really like, she's, she's torn because they want her to wear this like pink and shiny and glittery dress, um, sorry, skirt. And she's not comfortable. Like she's never really skated in a skirt. So she feels uncomfortable. She doesn't feel like herself. So she's really struggling and she's struggling to feel the music, which is also kind of causing her problems. Um, she knows that if she is able to reach the regionals um, without having to go to too many, like if she... Sorry, if she aces this one competition, that she'll get to co to go to regionals without her mom having to pay for extra competitions. So she's determined that she's going to ace this one competition, 
so that she can get to regionals and save her mom some money. So she's working hard, but she's not really connecting. Um, she's also getting to know Hayden. Um, and when Hayden and Anna first met, she accidentally grabbed her trainer Alex's name tag because she saw like an A and that it had four letters. So she thought it was her oh. own name, but it wasn't. So Hayden thinks that she is a boy named Alex. Um, she has, she doesn't know how to tell him that this is not the case and that her name is actually Anna. Um, it all kind of gets revealed in a way that it's kind of heartbreaking because you, you really feel for Anna and you also feel for, you can see where Hayden's coming from in how he feels like he, him and his family moved to this new area because of when he came out as, um, as Hayden, he wasn't treated very well. So he's very worried. Like when he discovers that Anna is actually Anna Marie Jin, this famous like teen um, figure skater, he's really hurt. So through the book, Anna's having to kind of grapple with who she is and also kind of figuring out like who she's going to tell first, um, when she's going to tell them, because she feels like if I ace this competition, for example, then everybody will be really happy. So then maybe then is when I'm going to tell them that I think I'm non-binary. So I really, really enjoyed this book. Um, there's, there's a couple spots that were a little teary that I just really felt for Anna and her struggles. And I also felt for like her mom, because her mom really wanted to be there for her, but didn't realize that Anna was having these struggles. So this is Anna on the Edge, and it's by AJ Sass. Excellent. And that brings us to the end of our episode on books with names in the title. Thank you so much to Brooke and Stacy for coming up with so many great books tonight. There were a lot to choose from, I know. Thanks, as always, goes out to Christine for all of her fantastic editing. And of course, we thank each and every one of you so much for joining us each week as we talk about great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.